Hello, everybody. Welcome to the Wolverine 24-7 Podcast, your audio source for all things Michigan football, basketball, and recruiting. I'm your host, Zach Shaw. Steve Lorenz here with me. And, oh, you better believe we are ready for our basketball podcast. But it's not coming this episode. It would be a disservice to our football fanatics uh, to do Michigan, to not do a Michigan-Ohio State recap. Little bit of a season in review. We'll have we'll have more time to do season in review once maybe some of the postseason awards come out, once the bowl destination and the bowl game happens. But we definitely got to talk about this game and kind of what it means. And and Steve, we might as well just start start with the pressing topics. Uh, clearly, there is a difference between what Ohio State is doing and what Michigan is doing. So. We'll do a little bit of a two-part discussion here, looking at how how did it get this way, and how if if there is a way, Michigan can close that gap on its its own side, not Ohio State falling off. Is that even possible? So first, starting with the how, I, I wrote a story, kind of about Michigan's last 15 years and and how it's been good, it has not been great, and that really makes fans miserable because after a while, good stops feeling good because you see other teams doing great. And here's the stat that I think is is the killer, is from 2005 to the end of 2014, Ohio State went 110-21. and 21. So they, they averaged 11-2, and two basically. From 2005 to 2014, Michigan went 73-53, and 53, averaging just a, just a shade over 7-5. and five. So I guess you know it's easy to it's easy to just throw dartboards at at Rich Rodriguez and Brady Hoke in that they weren't effective coaches. But from your experience, Steve, was there anything else? I mean, because Lloyd Carr had a couple of down seasons when when Ohio State started trending upward. You know, from from you know he won in two thousand three, but other than that, I think that was what his only win against Trestle, if I'm not mistaken, because two thousand one two thousand two. Four, five, six, seven. Those were all on him. Do you have any sense for maybe what Trestle did or what Carr didn't do? I mean, I guess because to me that ten-year gap put, puts Harbaugh in this giant hole. We'll talk about Harbaugh in a moment. But if we're we're doing our timeline, I guess what what do you notice from that era in terms of what Ohio State was able to do and Michigan was not able to do? Well, I think I know that, and I you know somewhat familiar with the recruiting from that era not as familiar obviously as I am with what goes on now but I do know the one thing was you know Michigan had always had a decent amount if not better than decent amount of success with some of the top guys in Ohio Trestle really kind of cut that off you know out of the Youngstown native brought a lot of excitement to the table after his hiring really made it a concerted effort to recruit not that Cooper or anybody else hadn't but just to kind of lock that down I think, if I recall correctly, won some early recruiting, some major early recruiting battles in Ohio. And really, yeah, it's weird as, like, I really do think what Michigan is up against today is still kind of a product of that hiring because outside of the one year, was it 11? Uh, Ohio State has rolled every single year. We We talked a little bit about how there might not be another program in all of college football that's had the, the sustained success that they've had for the last 25 or 30 years. And actually say that knowing with Cooper, you know, that Michigan 
was really good against Cooper, but even then Cooper was still going eleven and one or ten and one or you know they were still winning double digit games almost every year. So again, they're that one program. And if anybody in the comments or on our board or whatever wants to point to another program that has, I guess, would you say is like has not been bit by like the bad coaching hire bug? It's been Ohio State, particularly with the last three. I don't consider Fickle yet as interim year there as really a doesn't really count that much into that. You know, you talk about Trestle and then Meyer and now Day who. You watch Ohio, it's, 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 again, and this is where it just, really, it kind of stinks for Michigan fans, is you could argue in a way, I mean, this is a more crisp-looking Ohio State team than I saw maybe ever under Urban Meyer, and that they tend to play mistake-free football on both sides of the, of both sides, and they just, I mean, we've seen it now through with what they did in the regular season, really kind of avoided that hiccup that we've seen kind of plague them in maybe that one game a year under Meyer. I don't know, going back to Trestle, it's been a while. I don't remember, you know, how they when they'd lose, how they would lose. But, you know, and so that's what Michigan's kind of up against here is, and like I, I think we talked about this before we got on, as a Bill Conley for ESPN, the S&P Plus guy. It's actually on the front page of ESPN.com as we're recording this podcast, said Michigan has been one of the top 10 programs in the country. I think he had him at 7th in the S&P Plus since Harbaugh's hiring. So the problem is is that their major rival is number 2. Yeah. And that there's a and that the gap between number 2 and number 7 is is quite large. Basically the tenor of the article is that Harbaugh has been a major success at Michigan, but Ohio State is just on a completely different level right now, not just from Michigan but from pretty much almost any other program in the country and that, you know, perception is going to be based on how you perform against, particularly in this rivalry, you know, that perception is going to be based on your performance in that game. So, yeah, I mean, yeah, the seeds were planted for what's happening today. The seeds were planted a while ago. I mean, much like, you know, as well as I just said that day is coached. I mean, Meyer basically left him a, I don't know what's a that new Tesla truck. I, I you know like you know what I mean though like yeah, left him yeah. a great vehicle to drive. You know not to mention they were able to bring in and the I think Fields I think we had him as the number one overall recruit in the country to bring in a guy like that when your quarterback depth was really the only major question on your roster going into the season. You know and then all of a sudden they have I don't know three of the top six seven players in the country mm-hmm. on their roster right you know and and it's tough for anybody to overcome ohio state is not just a michigan problem it's just that michigan is the only program whose success is measured in how they perform against ohio state and it should be i mean that shouldn't change but it also doesn't change the fact that again ohio state's just as a program and as a, as a football program are just on a completely different level than Almost anybody else. Yeah, yeah. So next, let's look at, because by the way, I looked at that 10-year stretch. Six top five finishes, seven Big Ten titles. <laughs> Over 10 years that Michigan was averaging a 7-5 and five season. Because people look at, well, you know, Michigan, Har- let's, let's 
shift a little bit to what what was what's fair to expect out of Jim Harbaugh. I mean, that's a brutal ten year stretch. I don't think Michigan had ever had a stretch that bad where they didn't have at least one breakthrough. And that's a credit to Michigan that six even the sixties, seventies, eighties, nineties, obviously, two thousands. I mean, they never quite cratered to where they were an average Big Ten team for ten years. And they had two good years in twenty eleven. They didn't face or they didn't beat a ranked team until the Sugar Bowl, but they still went 11-2. and two. In 2006, they started out 11-0 and and lost their last two games. Though that's That was really it. Every other year, those were the only teams that they had that finished in the top 15, while Ohio State had seven teams finish in the top five. So, yeah, that's a gap. But looking back, now that we're five years in, with Jim Harbaugh's attempt to narrow the gap, because... I think it's worth noting they lost by, what, 29 points on Saturday? They lost by, what, 20, I think it was 29 points in 2015. So I'm curious, Steve, I mean, what do you, what do you make of that? I, I know the, the margin of the game is not indicative of where the two programs are, but is he... Is, is there hope that the gap will be narrowed, or is it really just going to be a new reality where Ohio State is in a different stratosphere? Maybe not different stratosphere. They're in a different rung than Michigan. Um, because So I think, of, yeah, I think it's, oh, sorry, I was just going to say, I think part of this inevitably would have to be that Ohio State has to fall back a little bit, right? What the prop I think the issue is and what I think fans should have a fear of is you know, this is really getting to the point now where you know, it, it's okay, we'll we're willing to even just take an upset every 5 years in this game right. type deal, <laughs> you know, and that's not the way it's that it's been until this most recent stretch. I mean, you know, Michigan obviously dominated uh, Cooper and, and were very, you know, it was, it was a legit rivalry back then, you know, and so I, but I think to, here's the thing, the program's in such a better spot than it was before Harbaugh started. That's the thing. Mm-hmm. The problem is Ohio State has kind of continued to ascend as well. I do think Michigan had, I think, I actually do think the gap has closed in the technical sense. It's just, uh, you know, has it closed enough? I mean, you know darn well, no matter what happens next year, we ain't picking Michigan to win this game next year. No matter what happens between now and then, Michigan, I mean, barring something that, you know, unforeseen, right? But, you know, if both teams keep their, keep the most of their rosters intact and nothing crazy happens, coaching change or uh, crazy injury or something like that, you know, even if Michigan runs the table next year heading into this game, we're not picking them. We're not going to be picking them. And I think that says a lot about – I think that in, in itself says a lot about where things are at. You know, so, you know, like I said, the the, the question everybody keeps I, – I saw it a few times too, and, and I don't know, this is the one that's kind of hard to answer is, well, then why has Auburn performed so well against Alabama 
in that rivalry game when probably those same stats, S&P and all that type of stuff, the gap is maybe even larger between those two programs than it is Michigan and Ohio State. Mm-hmm. You know, and that might be, that kind of might be the better question to talk about, but I don't know if there's, a, I don't know what the answer would be. You know, I mean, to see Auburn come out beat Alabama last weekend, I know they have a, their backup quarterback, but, you know, I don't know. It's, it's, it, it, I just, I do, I think the gap is narrowed, but by how much, you know, it might be a very, a very small amount, and it's not going to, from strictly a talent standpoint, with the way this season is playing out for Ohio State, that talent, the strictly talent, and that'd be strictly from a recruiting ranking standpoint, which again, I think by and large can dictate how things go. You're holding a better hand than your opponent. I always compare it to a poker game. Uh, that that gap is not going to narrow with Ohio State now probably a lock to go to the playoff and, in my opinion, a legitimate threat to win the whole thing. Mm-hmm. You know, as naturally it would. When your chief rival is, you know, has a chance to win the national championship and you're 9-3, and three, that gap is either at the, at the very best, which, again, I don't think is possible, at best is going to level out, but it's it, more likely than not, and it will be in this case, is that talent gap is going to continue to grow. So, Well, yeah, I mean, I think, I think people have brought out the stat that Ohio State's 2020 recruiting class has eight players committed that are rated higher than any Michigan 2020 commit. So, yeah, it's going to be, it's going to be an interesting... Interesting time to see what Michigan does. We'll talk about that in a moment. One more. Well, let me let me say my piece about how the gap can be narrowed. So I think I think two things have to happen as far as big things. Either one, Ohio State has to have a have a drop off. Maybe maybe Ryan Day gets hired to the NFL. Maybe uh, you know I I don't you know I hope this doesn't happen, but maybe there is a an injury to a quarterback type situation because next year they won't have chase young. They won't have JK Dobbins. They'll have fields and a whole bunch of really good receivers. The offensive line, I think will be even better. They're going to build in a lot of areas, but, but there are teams, teams have setbacks and they have down years. So it either has to be a down year, a major change, or, and this is, this is, I'll call this the Clemson LSU um, path is LSU could not get past Alabama. Last season, they lost 28-0. It had never looked more daunting for LSU to supplant Alabama. And I and Clemson, I would go back to maybe 20 the early early part of this decade when people were literally calling Clemsoning being a good team and then choking in the big game. And both both teams Steve, I don't know if you're following this path. Both teams got what? Do you know what it is? Made the right coordinator hire? Mm, that's that's actually a pretty good good alternative answer. They both got Heisman caliber quarterbacks. That too. Yep. Yeah, because Joe Burrow has completely transformed LSU's season, their program trajectory, their future, everything. You know, Joe Brady is is a phenomenal coach. And Ed Orgeron is is clearly running, doing a lot of the right things. But I don't think, you know, and they they had Joe Burrow last year, but but clearly, clearly he is 
reached his peak here. And then Clemson, they were a very good team. They were making, you know, BCS bulls, things like that. But Deshaun Watson, in my mind, is kind of what got them past Florida State, what got them past what at the time was a very good South Carolina team that was out recruiting, beating Clemson, and got them into that to that next sphere. So Michigan either needs a Deshaun Watson, Joe Burrow type, or they need Ohio State to fall off. That's that's my opinion. Now, of course, they can keep, you know, pecking away. Maybe you tweak the defense. Maybe you upgrade it one position or another. I do think the offensive line is in a is a situation where I don't know if it'll be better next year, but it certainly you could see if this you can see the depth and the strength and everything growing. And you can see where the defense, defense might look better in some spots. Not all spots, but some spots. And so, you know, they, they can keep doing this incremental thing. But if you're, if you're asking me what in the next three years has to happen for Michigan to become the premier program, I'd say either Ohio State has to fall or Michigan needs a transcendent, complete, generational Heisman type either quarterback or running back. Because I think Saquon Barkley deserves a lot of credit for Penn State getting over the hump, which weirdly, I think if you actually look at Penn State, other than what Saquon Barkley added, they have been about where Michigan's been under James Franklin, where they're winning 9 or 10 each year, probably going to keep winning 9 or 10 each year. It seems like the two teams will just trade based on who's playing at home. And there are still a, probably a lap behind Ohio State. So to me, if you get a generational talent, that's that. And if you get, if you get a, if Ohio State falls off, then maybe maybe it pulls into a three horse race. But yeah. So anyway, back to Michigan. Since we we're not gonna say Joe Milton or Dill McCaffrey are generational quarterbacks yet, and we're not gonna we're not gonna predict Ohio State. To fall off, I guess what what should some of the big picture, uh, not, maybe not as big picture, smaller picture, medium picture, heading into this bowl season, heading into this off season, what should some of the takeaways be from this game and how Michigan looked? Um, I think Michigan got beat. This game, you know, in a funny way, this game played out. This is as much as people always want to talk about the athleticism of Ohio State, particularly on the offensive end, and particularly at the skill positions on the outside, this game continues to be won in the trenches. It's every year. One drive into the game, you could tell right away. You know, I know Michigan went down and scored, looked good doing it, but defensively come in, Ohio State, seven, eight yards a pop. Was the first run of the game was, what, 35 yards or whatever, that fumble. Uh you know, it immediately felt like if Michigan was going to win, it was going to have to be a shootout because the one thing that Ohio State, two things that they continue to do in this game is they run the football consistently and then kind of on the same token, every I don't know what it is, but every single year in this game, their running back breaks like a 55-yard touchdown in the fourth quarter that just kind of breaks the will, you know, that kind of just ends it. And that happened again, yet again, this year. I mean, the game was already out of reach, but it's like, I can't remember the last time they didn't score like a 60 yard touchdown run 
in the late in the fourth, you know, like five minutes or less in the fourth quarter to just really just kind of mm-hmm. stick the knife in, you know, again, going, whether it's been Beanie Wells or Elliot or Weber or Dobbins or whoever. Uh, so to me, I, I do. I think the biggest thing is, is that Michigan continues to, and this is particularly on the defensive side of the football, because honestly, I thought Michigan's offensive line, at least from a pass protection standpoint, played pretty well in this game yeah hard to knock what they did right i mean chase young was a complete non-factor in this game which that's the other thing too why i feel good about the way i broke the game down when i said that i thought dobbins was 100 percent the key if you went into the game i think the two the three things you might have been most worried about were dobbins running the football but the other two you were most worried about were fields finding some space in the running game or breaking, you know, a broken play or Chase Young dominating on the edge. Michigan effectively negated two of those three things and still got their butts handed to them. Mm -hmm. And I think it's fully because they were able to run the football and it opened up everything else. You know, I know field statistics in that game were really strong, but honestly, that game was 1,000% one of Ohio State's ability to run the football. I mean, there's no other way. I don't know how you could watch that game and take anything else away. And again, I know I say that knowing that Dobbins' stats were amazing. I mean, it's it's clear, but I'm saying it's just that they're able. They've been able to, and this again every year they've been able to run the ball so consistently that you eventually have to devote something to it. And then that's when their athletes. That's when their athletes on the outside can become more and more effective. You know, but. Besides that, though, honestly, the other thing that I, my big takeaway is it pertains to this year's game is I'm just kind of wondering how mental this has become because the, the other thing about this game that was I think would maybe be more frustrating as a Michigan fan is how self-inflicted some of these mistakes were and how it differed from how Michigan has played the last four or five weeks. I don't care about the level of opponent. That's not relevant to me. It was these were mistakes Michigan was making that they were not making. I guess kind of going back to that, we I would keep referencing the second half of the Penn State game. But really though, I mean, since that point in time, they had really cut down on making a lot of major mistakes and they made killer mistake after killer mistake at very pivotal points in the game. And I think that to me, more than Ohio State just being really good, that's what I think would be really frustrating to me. I think I tweeted during the game that Michigan had too much red in their eyes and they played with little to no kind of calmness and composure. And I think it forced a lot of, you know, you see the late the late hit out of bounds by McGrone, the false, they're the offsides on the, uh, the fourth down. That's stuff, you know, that... Really, I feel like they had cut out for the most part. And for a lot of it, all of it to kind of rear its ugly head in this game, to me, just kind of says that just feels like this game has become more and more mental for them. And I don't mean that like it's uh, that they have like the the yips or that it's like that. It's just more of like the approach each year just kind of seems to be the incorrect approach. We talk about last year where I, I kind of got the sense that they felt maybe a little overconfident, you know, after Ohio State should have lost to Maryland. 
Michigan was favored. Michigan was ranked higher. I think they kind of thought it go, they'd go in there and they were going to win it. And then this year, it's almost like they came in so angry because of what happened last year that they really just played with a lack of focus. You know, and that to me, and I don't know, Zach, maybe your two cents on this part, but I always is that is that on the coaching? Is that just the 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 players self? You know, being self motivated. You know what I mean? Like, where's where's the line there? Um, I can't. It it's not all one or all the other. But I just that was the thing I kind of battled looking back and thinking about how many major mistakes they made at, at pivotal points. You know, I'd, I'd say one of the stupidest tweets I've ever sent out was during this game when I said that Wildcat call was inexcusable when if you just go back and watch the freaking replay, if he'd cut to the right, <laughs> there, he had a wide open path to a touchdown. Right. You know, my, log- my logic at the time was you should always have your best player on the field in pivotal situations, you know, with Patterson, who I thought played really, really, really good game. And I couldn't figure out why they took him out of the game. And then, again, you turn out, you see the replay, and it's like, man, like, that's frustrating. Because Haskins, I think, has played some really, really, really good football. And that was a colossal mistake, right? Mm-hmm. And so that's where that's kind of the other part of it for me, you know, is what what's the approach going to be next year? Because they got embarrassed again. And so how do they go about trying to approach it, you know, screw all the, they don't take it seriously enough stuff. I think that stuff's so stupid. There might be, I think the, maybe the fan base, Ohio state just has a more rabid and more vocal fan base. But I kind of wonder if the shoe was on the other foot, that it wouldn't be the same in the other direction. We're talking about 15 years here. You know, it's 16, 16, whatever, <laughs> you know, it's just, you know what I mean though, where it's like, yeah, very easy for them to be vocal. Very easy for them to buy buy up some tickets and come to the game. You know, so I don't know. It's just a whole smorgasbord. I don't even know how to say it right. A whole bunch of things, you know, is really kind of what it is. But like I said, two biggest things are the mental aspect and then also that this game continues to absolutely be one in the trenches with Ohio State has always been able to run the football much more effectively in this game. Yeah, it's interesting because, I mean, you're rattling off all these running backs who have just gone off on Michigan, and they're they're not just NFL draft picks. They're legitimate star NFL running backs, Zeke Elliott, uh, Carlos Hyde, you know, so on and so on. And it's, it, you know, even, even some of the receivers, it's just – it's amazing because Michigan really hasn't produced many skill position, particularly at running back. Last NFL draft pick running back was Mike Hart. And then last star receiver, I mean, I guess you could count Funchess. Has anyone else at receiver been a star or a Pro Bowl type player since Braylon Edwards? And was Chad Henney maybe the last very good quarterback? Breston, but who's in the same group though, pretty much. Yeah. Yeah. It's been, it's been, and that's when you get into the Hoke Rodriguez years, right? That's where, and that's where that talent gap just, you know, Michigan was rolling downhill while Ohio state continued to kind of build. Yeah. Because I, because I, because I do think you're right. Michigan's defensive line got bullied on Saturday for the most part. And that, that plays a big role, but 
that was supposed to be the that was supposed to be the weak link. My my thing with when you're judging if a team is successful and properly coached is are the actual objective on paper weak links their actual weak links or do other things emerge? So like we knew we knew running back they probably weren't going to have great running backs this year, but they needed good pass pro and they needed a good passing game. And so I actually think the offense, you know, 27 points isn't great. And the second half was pretty meager, 11 points total. But I actually don't think that is as jarring of an issue as Michigan's defense. Because Michigan's defense, a lot of, those, a lot of the players who looked pretty bad on Saturday, again, relative term, because Ohio State's going to make a lot of teams look bad, but who did not look like themselves were on the defensive side of the ball. And we saw you know, Kalik Hudson had a very rough game. Josh Metellus got put in some tough spots, still had a rough game. Cameron Grown, uncharacteristic penalty. I'm really just going down the list of who had the most tackles. You know, Jordan Glasgow got got beat a couple times. Uh, wow, Chris Hinton had six tackles. Interesting. Um, he played. He got. He. I'd say that he got Hinton got manhandled a couple times, but actually held his own in a lot of spots. That was a actually that was one of the bright spots for me knowing that he'll be playing a probably he'll be playing a huge role next season Mm -hmm. so you mentioned him but yeah he played well he played the most I think he's played but I also think he played his best game by a long shot on Saturday right right and so just to me some of these defensive players that's that's where I think the big takeaway is because I think the offense they did better than any offense has done in Ohio State's defense this year by a considerable amount you know, especially we we talked about Shea Patterson. I do think the drops. I I I under. I think the last like two or three might have been a little mental. But it to me that's just amazing. You know, if, if they cut the drops in half, does Shea Patterson throw for four hundred yards against Ohio State? I think he. I don't. I don't have the exact numbers, but I think he might have, because yeah. there were probably eight drops, and. He was averaging over almost, he had thir- 305 yards on 18 completions. So he, uh, yeah, and then suddenly you're like, well, the passing game was all they had. So, yeah, to me, the defense is just, I don't know how you can do so poorly when your entire season and off season was built around doing better in this particular game. Yes, they were coaching for the whole season, but you talk to Partridge, you talk to Zordich, you talk to um, you talk to Don Brown, you talk to every defensive player. Ohio State was on their minds all season, all off season, the entire time, and they gave up fifty six points again and five hundred and seventy seven yards more than last year. I mean, I really thought the sixty two points, like. This is just as a reporter. It just blew my mind. And I was like, there's no possible way that will happen. That was clearly a fluke. The injuries added up. Dwayne Haskins played out of his mind and, and deserved. I mean, he's the first first round draft pick quarterback the Big Ten has had in 25 years since Todd Collins. But yeah, I mean, you know, all year it's all about the 62 points and the 567 yards. And, and then they do it again. I mean, Steve, I, we can jump into this a little bit. What? I, 
I don't usually do this. This is not usually something that I do. And frankly, I don't really care what they do. But just from a perception standpoint, is there any way they can package excitement, not just with the fans? Because I don't think Michigan cares, but they don't really care about the fan perception. But even with the with the locker room, how do they go into next season believing that they can win the Big Ten and win a national title if Don Brown is still the defensive coordinator? And I, I don't mean that as facetiously. I don't mean like there's no possible way he could do it because I think he is a good coach. I think he clearly knows his stuff. He's well-respected in the industry. And if Michigan let him go, someone would snatch him up happily almost instantly. But if you are Michigan and you're, you're Jim Harbaugh, you're the CEO of the team, and they give up, he's now given up 118 points and 1,144 yards in the last two years. What do you even say? How do you, how do you possibly go to spring ball and say, yep, let's run it back, let's try again? Because I don't think you can. I think there needs to be a serious, con- concrete, measurable market change. So, yeah, it's obviously a question. Uh, we're grateful we're just going to gonna report on what's done instead of actually making those kind of big decisions. But what do you, what do you make of the defense? Because you know, in some ways I almost felt like it was better than last year because it felt like it wasn't the exact same thing all game. But they just got, just got beat down. And so do you, so what's your approach if you're Jim Harbaugh heading into spring ball and you have this staff? I mean, do you make staff changes? Do you make schematic changes? What, what do you do? What do you do if you're Michigan and you saw this defensive performance happen a second year in a row after all the talk and all the buildup about how this defense had learned how to defend crossing routes or learned how to play zone? And, and to their credit, I mean, those things... Again, not every crossing route worked. But 56 points is 56 points. And eight touchdowns is eight touchdowns at a certain point. What do, what do you think? It's tough. The biggest reason it's tough for me is it's just it's been weird because I think you could argue that Don Brown was the only reason Michigan had a was even in the game in 16 and 17, and now it's kind of flipped mm-hmm. a little bit particularly in 17, you know, where, again, they had no business being in that game as far as the the rosters were concerned. And then in 16, which might be where I'm making my point, where they had, like, I think we talked about it a few times, but they had, like, some ridiculous, they had, like, 15 tackles for a loss or something like that, uh, you know, and and really dominated the line of scrimmage Mm -hmm. throughout in that game. is it a personnel thing as far as the players go? You know, we wondered all offseason whether or not Michigan had the interior linemen to, you know, win the conference. That was really, I think, going into fall ball. That was if we were talking about biggest question marks on the roster. We were asked that was what our biggest question mark was, and that's what we right? said. Yep. Now, on the flip side, though, as much as, and again, I think, like I said, Ohio State was able to get to the second level, made plays. You know, I Michigan's vets, you talked about Hudson, Metellus, I think really kind of let them down in this game. Uh, as far from strictly from a you know, just a field performance standpoint, and that's where I get into the that's where I get into the whole seeing with too much red 
not playing calm, composed football, you know, because what people wanted zone instead of all the man-to-man. Well, when what happens, Olave is open by 15 yards when they run zone on one of them, like the, I think it's their second or third touchdown in the game. You know, it was, the thing is, is, and I think there have been members on our board who've mentioned this, is that they thought, at least heading into this game, that this was Don Brown's best job as defensive coordinator at Michigan because, particularly for what all the, what they lost up front, you know, is statistically how well they've performed in most of their, most of the games. And again, Wisconsin, they laid an egg in that game too. What was the difference? They basically were able to run the ball at will on them. I don't know. I, it's, it's hard to... Paramount Plus and the National Park Foundation present A Mountain of Zen. Are you still listening? Good. Take a deep breath. You needed a break. This Earth Week, you can live stream seven national parks for seven days on Paramount Plus. So, yes, you can literally stream a stream. Paramount Plus, official streaming partner of the National Park Foundation. It's hard to see what they've done under him defensively and and say that bringing in somebody else is going to change, you know, what they've kind of built defensively. I think particularly in the defensive backfield, they're continually getting more athletic, which will give them a better shot in a lot of these types of situations. But at the same time, your point, you know, is that the results are the results right there. And that is, yeah, and that's regardless of, and again, you know, you look at this year especially, not so much a deal where the offense wasn't doing anything and the defense was on the field consistently. It was just them getting gashed in the running game and then that basically, like I said, setting everything else up for Ohio State. You know, is this a deal where Ryan Day just knows Don Brown in and out from working with him and has him figured out? Mm -hmm. I don't know how – I mean, I I guess my thing is I don't know how you can eliminate that as a possibility based on the results because before Ryan Day came into town, like I said, Michigan's defense against – when they're – it was their defense that was always shining against Ohio State. It was their offense that couldn't put the ball in the end zone or their offense that was making the critical mistake that was costing them those games. Now, you know, it's the opposite. Like you said, you know, I hated that stat they showed in the third quarter. I don't know if it was the third or fourth quarter where Patterson started out whatever for whatever and then he was one for his next 12. And it's like, man, well, there was like six drops. You know, you talked about the drops. Right. It was like I thought P- Patterson played an amazing football game in my opinion. Uh, he played he's ascended as Harbaugh would probably say, but he's come along so quickly in the second half of the season has really been in my opinion one of the better players in the country over the last 6 weeks. And he didn't and I thought by and large I thought he did the same thing on Saturday. I thought I mean he gave Ohio State way more problems than any quarterback has this year. You know, and on his end, it was the receivers that kind of let him down. So, what? Yeah, but so it wasn't an issue where the offense wasn't moving the football or was going three and out constantly. This was just a defense getting. It did. I mean, it, I'm not going to say toying with them because, like I said, football in a lot of ways can be really simple. If you're running the ball as easily as they are, it's gonna you're gonna find open receivers downfield, particularly when your pass rush isn't generating a ton of pressure. I thought they did a decent job. On Saturday, it wasn't like the 
it was about what I expected. They got to him occasionally, but not enough. And yeah, I mean, those numbers alone, like over a hundred points over 1100 yards. I mean, I just, it's hard to say, you know, who's that there's some magic elixir out there, a guy out there who's going to figure this all out. You know, I, again, I could be wrong. Maybe there is the right guy out there. I just, I don't know. Cause then you get into the whole, you're changing schemes and do you sacrifice? We see it. We saw what happened with, with them offensively and how I think one of our biggest failures in previewing the season was that because they had a lot of returning experience and a lot of talent that the new offense was just going to walk right. This new scheme was going to walk right in and they were going to dominate. Well, we found out very quickly that that was not the case, but then we also saw how they looked at the end of the year, you get, you, you change your, you make a change at, at defensive coordinator or with the defensive staff. And all of a sudden you're probably almost, almost for sure because of his unique scheme, you're going to be running something totally different. Do you have the right players? Do they buy in? How long does it take? How long does it take them to adapt? What are you sacrificing in that regard? So it is, you're right. I mean, that's a, that's one of the toughest decisions you can make. Harbaugh has always shown he's been he's never been afraid to make a change, mm-hmm. but I don't know. There's there's also there's the the whole part of that we're not there for in the locker room because I, I strongly believe that the players love playing for Brown, so I don't think it's a deal where there there's going to be a seed of doubt. I would imagine that a lot of the players, whether right or wrong, probably feel like they let him down. Yeah, yeah, they Not, talked about you know, that after the game. Yep. Right. Because you know, and like I said, a lot of this, some of the bigger plays of the game were self-inflicted wounds and and mistakes made by the players themselves where the scheme may have been right. I go back to that Olave touchdown. You know, it looked like everybody except the guy who was supposed to be covering the guy that they threw the ball to had their, you know, did their assignment, made their assignment. Whoa, 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 whoa. The one that Metellus scored? Or was Metellus was scored on? Yeah, I mean Hill dropped into the flat. It was his own coverage. Hill dropped into the flat, and, and Metellus just took way too long to. Have you seen Josh Metellus run? He shouldn't be on Chris Olave. But if you I'm understand, but if you're playing, he's supposed to make his way over. It's not he wasn't turned into one on one coverage. He's mm-hmm. supposed to basically make that angle and get in, you know, and, and play safe. Like again, I could be. I'm just telling you based on what I saw. I know there's 11 players out there. Maybe there was something else or. But either way, oh no! I you think, know, I think that was what they wanted. I just, I don't know. Maybe this maybe this was different. That that play was pass coverage. That but. that play was different than him on Hamler, mm-hmm. where they that's, had him one. You know, fair. that was that's that was straight up that. Now that one, you know, I think that's the one I got heated about after that game, where I thought that was that was poor schematics. Plays like what we saw on Saturday. Part of it was poor schematics, but like I said, I just – and the, maybe the reason why I think I politely disagree, but I totally understand your point, is that really they just – they were just better up front, and I don't know how much scheme can make a difference in that situation. And if you do, scheme may come at the sacrifice of, again, having receivers open. And then you're looking at it the way we look at it last year, where they were able to just throw the ball all over him, you know. Mm-hmm. So I don't know. Tough spot. 
he was out on the recruiting trail today. I know BC, what do we say? BC is open or is BC? Yeah. BC is open. Yeah. Um, he's a family oriented guy. No, Al Washington's been mentioned as a candidate for the BC head coaching job, which is, would be, think about that. I mean, that'd be quite a rise. I guess, you know, if you're BC, we don't need to go into this, but like, if you really think someone's going to become a great head coach, you shouldn't worry about age or resume. You should worry about trying to get them on the ground floor. Well, and that makes Brown a, a very attractive guy to bring along with him, too. As to is sort of like well, sort of like a how Martelli. A Martelli. Yeah. yeah, I mean, kind of. There is a parallel. There's sort of a comparison there. So, you know, but we'll see. I, I, I just, I don't think Michigan would actually. I, if he left, I think it's because I, I, mean, I don't know. I, would Michigan be begging him to stay? I, I don't know, but I don't think it'd be a deal where they're like nudging him out the door either. I just. I don't know. There's, we're not going to be in the film room, obviously, to know where the breakdowns were, right, and right. and that's and that's, you know, and I've never, I've always said I'm not a, I can watch a game and tell you some things, but I'm not like the deep dive X's and O's kind of guy. So, you know, take it for what it's worth from me in that regard. But, you know, we won't be in the film room. We don't know where the where all the breakdowns were. Who got who graded out what. And what that means relative to at least the schematic performance, you know, of their defensive unit on Saturday. So, you know, it's, but it is, it's a tough decision because I agree. I mean, again, if we're talking, this whole thing revolves around the perception of this rivalry based on how you perform in it. I, I mean, those are some very, very poor results. I mean, there's just no way around it, whether it's player induced or coaching-induced, which, again, at the end of the day, you could argue that if it's player-induced, then it still is coaching-induced at the end of the day. So, If it's player-induced, yeah. I mean, some teams just don't have good players. And like that, you just, just kind of live with that sometimes. But, but, yeah, when it's not – when it's uncharacteristic, I do put that on the coaches. And, and yeah, I, I still think if you're Michigan – because here's, here's what you've established. 2017 starting quarterback injury season not excluded or excluded. Michigan will, will be good until they until they get rid of or until Jim Harbaugh steps down, whatever. They're going to be good. They have the eighth most wins among Power 5 teams in the last five years. They have the fifth best scoring margin. They, as you said, were seventh in the SP+. They are probably... I guess we'll see. My guess is that they'll end up this. I think they'll win in what I would assume would be the Holiday Bowl, beating either a USC team that has Clay Helton on the hot seat or a Washington team that, uh, you know, just had its coach resign. Plus teams that went, they, the two of them combined, you know, USC's eight and four, Washington seven and five, Michigan was nine and three in a better conference. So my hunch is that if they drop down to the Holiday Bowl, they'll win. Or Gator Bowl, I think they would win that too. And so, yeah, you're going to be 10-3 and again, probably a top 15 team again. Still not really cracking into that top eight. And next year, you look at their schedule, road game at Washington, road game at Michigan State. Those look a lot more manageable than they did a year or two ago. Road game at Minnesota looks interesting. 
but you also have Penn State, Wisconsin at home. You have, um, you know, I, I don't think anyone else in the Big Ten is going to summon, you know, a, a great season. So you're probably going to win, again, going to next next November, either 9-2, and 10-1, or 11-0. I think all three are probably about equally probable. But, yeah, it just, I understand where it's tough to beat one of the best teams in the in the country, but if you're doing the exact same thing every year, and this is what I said in my story, when when fans can see great on the horizon, good suddenly doesn't look so good. And suddenly everyone wants great. And that, and that's that's just the nature of sports. That's not even a Michigan thing. That's an everybody thing. When the Tigers made the playoffs a bunch, it was about the World Series. When the Pistons were making the Eastern Conference Final, it was about winning the NBA Finals. When the Red Wings made, what, 25 straight playoffs? They, they won the Cup. And then when they didn't, it was a bad season. When the Lions went 9-7 and seven a whole bunch of years in a row, it was, it was time to get rid of Jim Caldwell. And so Michigan's in a spot where I, I think they'll be good for as long as they want to be good. And then it's that, it's that vault to great. And maybe they get lucky. Maybe, you know, Joe Milton or Dylan McCaffrey breaks out next season. Or maybe Ohio State drops off. But I think in, you can't expect either of those to happen. So what you have to do is you have to make your changes. You have to, you have to go into each season believing that there will be something different. And I don't know how you do that without, without overhauling this defense. Because they have some great defensive coaches. And, you know, you mentioned Jim Harbaugh's not afraid to make changes if he feels it's necessary. He's made some pretty good hires. The O-line stunk. He hired Ben Herbert and Ed Warner. O-line's pretty good now. The passing game, I know it took a while. You can argue, you can, you can get mad that it took too long, but it does look pretty good. This looks better. The best three-game stretch a Michigan quarterback has ever done in terms of uh, passing yards and touchdowns. So I don't know. I, I, I think if, you're, if you are thinking about the Aiden Hutchinsons, the Quiddy Pays, the uh, Cameron Groans, I think you have to have some discernible difference or else they're going to go in the next season when they have to go play at Ohio State, a team that's going to have Justin Fields looking even better, that's going to have Garrett Wilson and Chris Olave and so many guys, I, Julian Fleming, you know, they're just, just guys through the roof. Yeah, they have four top 150, no, four top 100 receivers enrolling <laughs> next season. Four in the top 100. It's, it's again, and that's it goes back to, you know, people get mad. Oh, the gap is growing. Literally nobody's ever done that before that I can remember. And all, since the recruiting rankings era started, have has any program ever signed the receiver class that Ohio State's bringing in next year, right? And that's, you could argue Michigan is literally fighting against historical standards in a lot of ways, mm-hmm. you know. So you're right; they'll have a, they'll have a second year starter with a plethora of receiving threats. The bulk of their offensive line returning, you know. I don't know, if, you know. I I don't. They won't have Dobbins, but Master Teague is. Shown some flashes. He ran for 800 yards got, this year. Yeah. Yeah. You know, and so they've got guys. So and and, and I guess the point I'm I'm making there is, they're going to go into next season, 
And if they don't, I feel like if they don't make a change, how can you possibly, if you're the team, I don't care about the fans, if you're the team, how can you possibly go into next season believing something will be different? I don't know. I asked a million dollar question. Because, yeah. yeah, that's where, that's what I said. That's where, that's where this loss, I think, and we, you know, again, we've had to say this every year. You know, it's like I was telling my brother, Ohio, Michigan's only beaten Ohio State once since I had a driver's license. <laughs> um, I'm 34. You know, and so it's like, but every year you rationalize something. And I think last year the thought was, okay, Michigan, Ohio State embarrassed Michigan so bad that there's no way, you know, kind of going back to your comments about the defensive performance, there's no way that they're going to get beaten like that again. Now, they very well get beaten. We both picked Ohio State to win, but that's not going to happen again. Well, it happened again. Right. So, you 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 know, that's and that's the challenge, I think, for the staff is you kind of have to wonder at some point, yeah, does some of these guys who've been there for three or four years or for however long, you know, does it kind of break your will? Right. Honestly, right. a little bit. Or at least plant enough of a seed of doubt for it to potentially make a difference when you step onto the field for that game. You know, and that's I think I think if you're the staff, I think that's probably your biggest fear. And if you're the players, that's gonna be your biggest challenge is erasing that that potential seed of doubt. Because yeah, I mean, like I said, I think I think because I think in a lot of ways, I think this year's and it's funny to say that after what happened in 2016, but I think in a lot of ways, I think this year's loss was the worst one because, and not that there's ever any shortage of motivation in this game, but I think there was a more palpable motivation for them mm-hmm. because they were basically, you know, they were a team that had national championship aspirations last year and they got flat out embarrassed and they came out and did it again. You know, and, and really, like you said, you know, Ohio State had national championship aspirations probably no matter what the outcome of this game was, but Michigan literally had nothing, and then this was it yeah. for them, was this game. And, you know, by and large, again, we like what we saw to them in a lot of spots. And I don't think this game is really, you know, I know Ohio State control, but this didn't feel as dominant a performance from them as it did last year. It's a, a piecemeal blowout. Right, it was yeah, it was yeah. very yeah, very spotty, uh, you know, type deal. But at the same time, just with the end result, it just you know, it, again, it's it's sort of like uh, I don't know when Bane snaps Batman's back at the end of that fight, and then Batman ends up in the tunnel where he has to climb back out. Kind of feels like Michigan's in that tunnel now <laughs> with the tape around them. And they have, and they're blind, or no? Was, is he blind in that part? I don't know, man. No. <laughs> you, you know, from the dark, from uh, it's been it, a few the... years. Oh, okay, you know but... what? Actually, because that was um, that was the third Batman movie. Yeah, I remember I watched that because I was watching the 2013 Michigan Michigan State game, and I had seen enough, and so I turned it on Bat. I turned on Batman instead. 
There, well, there you go. I mean, <laughs> I've seen that movie a bunch of times. I just, like I said, I just, I kind of feel like right now Michigan is in the, he's in the cell in the tunnel watching the TV of all the destruction going on and he's stuck in this tunnel and it looks like it's impossible to get out of. Yeah. And then he, but then he kind of like, but then he works his way. Like he could give up, but he doesn't. That's what, that's my, that's my, uh, okay. Oh, metaphoric, but that's kind of what it feels like. feels like that they're, they're looking up at that light in the tunnel and it looks like it's impossible to climb out of. You know, and, it, and that's the, I think that's sort of in a metaphorical sense, kind of the challenge that Michigan is, is facing going forward is, you know, cause yeah, these last two losses have really, you know, like I said, could plant that seed of doubt just within enough, within enough players or people within to, within the program to where your fear is that it could have an effect on how this game plays out every year. Because like I said, They've run out of reasons to be motivated and to play an A plus game in this rivalry. So at some point, you probably start to ask yourself, "Well, what can, what what can we do? How is this ever going to change?" So, yeah, yep. You know, they're kind of out of excuses at this point. There isn't. Uh, oh, it's not Harbaugh's players. It isn't on the road. It isn't. Um, you know, Brady Hope job them or whatever it isn't they don't have the quarterback they don't have the the off you know it's at this point ohio state's just better than michigan and it isn't particularly close and so we'll see we'll see what michigan does i i think it'll be i think how they approach the bowl game will tell us a little bit if they once again have players skipping the game which you know we're not all together against but i think it does speak to what kind of team culture you have just a little bit you know what kind of what kind of motivation do they show in the bowl game? What kind of changes are made in, in terms of coaching or or the transfer portal, which is now can be such a such a boon. I mean, look at what Illinois was able to do this past off season. Lot to watch, a lot to watch, and we'll of course be covering it every step of the way. For Steve Lorenz, I'm Zach Shaw. Check out all of our stories at themichiganinsider.com and michigan.247sports.com. This has been the Wolverine 24-7 Podcast. Hope you had fun. Hope you learned something. And we'll see you in a couple days. We'll, we'll, we'll switch gears. We'll switch gears and talk some basketball. Uh, we'll see you then. Thank you.